Hi everybody, this is Bill Woodcock and welcome to another edition of Forward Maryland. Today is Monday, July 22nd, 2019, and on today's episode, Bill Woodcock, Far From Home, Part 3. We last our, we left our hero, he was recovering from much, 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 much walking over the past few days, and also a nasty bee sting. And uh, he was a little bit loopy and droopy and, and kind of slow talking and tired and sore and just feeling blah. Uh, but now I am zesty and happy and, and just as chipper as can be uh, because I uh, have had a great day today. And so let me catch you up with the wacky goings on uh, since the trip to the Louvre. And that would be uh, days four and five of this adventure to Great Britain. Uh, by the way, just reminding you, I am speaking to you live, well, recorded actually, uh, from merry old London, England, and, uh, and just wanted to share uh, what's been going on the last two days. It's really been an awesome trip. So uh, yesterday, on Sunday, uh, people know who've been following me and following my online presence, they know I love my Sunday newspapers. So this Sunday was... No exception. Uh, I went went around the corner to the local convenience store and bought a Sunday Times. Um, Sunday Times of London, of course. Uh, wanted to find the Guardian, but uh, could not. Uh, so I do hope to check that out. I do follow the Guardian online. So I uh, read the Times, and I really have to say I enjoyed the newspaper. Um, I thought the... Um, I mean, it, it certainly has earned its place along among the great newspapers of the world. Uh, if I want to compare it most to a paper, I would compare it most to the New York Times, um, but with a little bit of USA Today thrown into it in terms of two things. Uh, use of color and also um, use of the, the writing and the stories are more relatable and more relational, uh, I believe, to what uh, the average Brit uh, feels. Uh, and it's, it's more news you, can news you can use. I almost said news you can lose. That would be the Baltimore Sun. But uh, it's more news you can use for your buck. Or in this case, for your two pounds eighty pence. So, um, you know, I I was very happy to uh, to uh, read it. I enjoyed it, and in fact, in tomorrow's edition, I will be talking about an article in that I found in the Sunday Times that I found very interesting. So I went there, and from from there, I uh, decided to hop the underground, hop the two, if you will, and then head to Buckingham Palace, where they had this little thing on Sundays. Uh, actually, don't they have it every day? Uh, called the Changing of the Guard. What an amazing experience that was. Uh, first off, this ceremony, people think, if people may think it takes like five minutes, forget about it. It's actually two whole hours. And uh, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance and pageantry that goes into this. Plus, there had to have been, I would guesstimate, about 10,000 people watching this particular edition of the changing of the guard i guess because it was sunday nice outside good weather uh apparently the union jack flying on top of the palace means the queen is home so uh the queen is home uh we're trying to get her on for uh 
another edition of Forward Maryland. We may have to wind up uh, contacting Her Royal Highness on uh, Skype at this point. But um, just letting you know that, um, you know, it was really an event and, uh, you know, a proud tradition of uh, Great Britain. And, um, you know, if you have the chance to check it out, you really should. You know, I'm not much of a monarchy person. I'm not much of, not one of these people who get all giddy when a royal baby is born or named or, you know, Meghan Markle and all this. I mean, I'll, I'll watch the pageantry and all this, but I don't really follow all of that. It's not really an interest of mine. But I will say this. Um, Brits, I don't know what public opinion surveys say about their opinion on the, uh, on the monarchy, but Brits certainly seem... Uh, comfortable with their monarchy. Um, probably at least half the people who I saw in the crowd or heard at, in the crowd at the changing yesterday were Brits. Uh, and so, you know, the monarchy is a very proud, you know, over, what, thousand-year tradition uh, in Great Britain. And yeah, does it cost uh, the average Brit some money to maintain the monarchy? Do they not maintain massive grounds and massive holdings and uh, massive property, of course. Um, you know, it's, I'm sure it's far, far more than, say, what we do for all of our current and former presidents, um, you know, to maintain the royal family. I'm sure it's much more. Um, but it's something that's uniquely British at this point. I mean, British has, Great Britain has, I believe, the most functional monarchy uh, in the world. I know there are several other monarchies that are, you know, in the world, you know, set up in the world, but the British one is certainly the most well-known and the most functional uh, in terms of serving as a head of state, not being ceremonial. So, um, you know, more, more power to the Brits. Not my thing, but it's their thing, and I'm good with it being their thing. Uh, also, when I was down at the park, uh, around Buckingham Palace, uh, I, I swear there, there, uh, there's a lot of fans of the Netflix show Stranger Things in Great Britain. I at least saw like four Stranger Things T-shirts, uh, including a guy who had on the uh, the athletic department T-shirt from the school where the where the kids in Stranger Things go. Uh, a few logo shirts that just said Stranger Things on them. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Uh, anyway, so from Buckingham Palace, I went to Piccadilly Circus. I wanted to check that out. Um, as I'm learning so far on this trip, some of these things in Great Britain are not as big as you may think. Uh, you may think of Piccadilly Circus as just like Times Square in New York. Um, it's a little like Times Square in New York, but it's much smaller. Uh, I posted some pictures on my Facebook page, and again, they will they will go up probably towards the end of the week on my uh, on the blog page. Um, and and I mean the main lighted sign in Piccadilly Circus probably goes to like I don't know what would be the fourth floor of a building, so it's a lot less than uh, what you see in New York and Times Square. So I have I. You know, it was cool, and I liked it, but uh, I was expecting a little bit more. So, uh, London, I'm sorry, but you come up short to Times Square. 
uh, Tokyo, when I come to visit you, you, you better be bringing your lights. And you better be bringing your, your hustle and bustle. Uh, but I like Piccadilly. I liked it just fine. Uh, went to London Bridge and walked across London Bridge and back. Started taking pictures of the other bridges. Saw the Vauxhall Road Bridge, which uh, with one end of the bridge is the MI6 building. And those of you who are James Bond fans may remember that the uh, final scenes of that movie were shot uh, on and around that bridge. So I was able to see that, uh, at which point uh, I was stung by a bee. And uh, this bee had a purpose to sting me because I was already sore and tired and sweaty and grumpy from uh, walking so much in Paris and frankly walking so much on this entire trip. And I had probably, you know, only logged in about six or seven miles at this point during the day uh, on Sunday, which was about, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. So, um, you know, the bee stung me. I shoot the bee. I was just a little honeybee, so happy to help the honeybees, I guess. And uh, about ten minutes later, I started to feel a little oogie. Uh, so I am not allergic to bees, but, uh, you know, bee venom affects me too. And when uh, I couldn't realize that I couldn't, when I realized that I could not remember the name of the station I had gotten off on, uh, which is sad because I was there to see London Bridge and I was at the London Bridge station, um, that was not a good idea. So uh, I hightailed it back home and uh, wound up taking a nap and then wound up sleeping for nine hours on top of that later in the day. And uh, that's how I ended day four. Um, and so woke up day five feeling rested and ready, uh, recuperated and just, just, just ornery as ever. Uh, so day five was a blast. Um, there, you know, when I was researching this trip, you know, a lot of things I wanted to go to were museums. Uh, and three of them were the British Museum of Science, the British Museum of Na Natural History, and the Royal Victoria and Albert Museum. Uh, it just goes to, goes to, goes to, um, describe though that those three museums are all clustered together. They are literally next door to next door to across the street neighbors to each other. Um, the all three museums are gorgeous uh, and I had differing experiences in all three of them and they were not the museum's fault. Um, but uh, two I would definitely say would be A-level, go see these. Uh, these are on the level of, if not um, beyond, and when I mean beyond, I don't mean better than, I mean different, a, uh, the uh, corresponding Smithsonian Museum, and one of the museums I would say, well, if you've seen it other places, you haven't seen a lot different. And uh, that museum would actually be the Victoria and Albert. I mean, I thought it was nice, I thought the architecture was cool. Um, but I have to admit, after going to the British Museum and going to the Louvre, a lot of it was all looking repetitive, and there's only so much Renaissance stuff I could stand, and there was not as much modern stuff as I thought there was going to be, so um, I kind of made that a very quick trip. 
And in fact, that was the third of the three uh, museums I visited. Uh, the first one was the British Museum of Science, uh, which I was pleasantly uh, pleased with. It is a steampunk, uh, it is a steampunk playground. Uh, of course, they also had an exhibit on James Watt, not former Reagan Secretary of Interior James Watt, uh, but the real James Watt, who developed uh, steam engines. Uh, and after and, and you know was key in electricity, the guy after whom the unit of measure called the watt is named. So um, you know, so so that was pretty awesome. There were British rockets. Uh, they were examples of both Apollo and Soyuz uh, craft, which uh, I really had not seen much in the way of Soyuz craft. Uh, there was a replica of Sputnik, which was pretty awesome. Um, another floor had on it um, a very cool flight simulator that I did not go to, which in which, uh, but I could watch it on monitors where you could um, you could fly with the red arrows. So the red arrows are to Great Britain what the Blue Angels are in the U.S. They're um, the Precision Flight Squad, and uh, they were they are pretty awesome. Um, you know, we, I, 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 you know, I, I need to see more precision flight squads in my life. Damn it, uh, that is on a very early uh, thing for 2020. Precision flight squads. Uh, anyway, uh, that was a pretty cool. That was a pretty cool little attraction to have there. Uh, they also had a lot of cool things about the history of computing and the history of networking. They had the, one of the first ham radio antennas that was able to broadcast around the world um, that was uh, based in Devonshire, England. Um, Devonshire, I should say. Uh, and, you know, they had just a lot. They had very early computers. They had Alan Turing um, calculating machines. Uh, it was really quite awesome and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I also happened to walk onto a floor where I didn't belong, uh, where they're actually building what looks like a museum about, or uh, an exhibit about the history of medicine and the history of medication. So uh, that would be pretty cool to see. Uh, oh, also Watson and Crick's DNA model. That rocked hard. I, I, I really enjoyed that. So uh, that was the Museum of Science. The Museum of Natural History, holy smoky, um, there was a lot there. Um, Britons love their dinosaurs, and uh, they have many, many, many skeletons of many, many, many dinosaurs. It was very awesome, very much fun. In the main exhibit hall, though, uh, is the skeleton is suspended above the crowd, a uh, skeleton of a blue whale, which is just behemoth and just hard to imagine uh, the scale. And of course, I mean, I don't know if any of you have seen in the Museum of Natural History in the Smithsonian, uh, you know, the, the blue whale that's there. Uh, well, these are its skeletons, so uh, that was pretty cool. They have there the Museum of the Moon, uh, which uh, I thought was pretty nice. There's a huge moon globe in the middle of a room that's all in cobalt blue lighting. 
Uh, there's some specially designed music piece that somebody that's being piped in. Um, not really sure what else is about the Museum of the Moon, but it was pretty cool. Uh, plus, there was a moon rock, big old moon rock. I really love. I really like that. That's about the third time I've ever seen a moon rock. Um, the other two times being at the Air and Space Museum in D.C. and the Maryland State House, where they have a couple little pieces of gravel uh, type of uh, moon rocks um, on display and a little glass ball in in the uh, in the first floor of the State House. But you didn't know that, ha! Maryland related after all. So yeah, there, bite it. Um, anyway. Um, very awesome museums. I definitely would recommend both the Museum of Science and the Natural History Museum. Oh, they also had a huge Darwin exhibit. Uh, so uh, for those of you out there who are creationists who are listening to this program, who I would imagine probably number zero, um, you would not like that. But for the rest of you, um, you would have a good time. So, so that was that. Those were the three museums of the day. Uh, on the way back, I stopped by Harrods, um, walked through Harrods, um, very impressed in that I had never seen so much high-end stuff all in one place before, also in the sorts of things that Harrods sells. Harrods does property. Um, they, they will rent or sell you a condo or an office suite in some property in Miami Beach or in the south of France or uh, in London, or somewhere else. Um, which, you know, trying to think of Macy's doing that. Uh, or the heck company uh, back in the day. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, of course, it being Great Britain, they had a massive uh, cigar and champagne selection, which I thought was interesting. So, uh, you know, you want to go come over here and buy that magnum of Dom Perignon for only 400 pounds? Go for it. You know, be my guest. Um, you know, but all in all, I really wasn't all that impressed with Harrods. I was expecting things that were more accessible for average Brits. Uh, and I don't know where do average Brits go to shop for department store items. I have no idea. I'm confused about that. Uh, I mean, I'm not really confused. I'm sure there is some place, but I know it damn sure ain't Harrods. So uh, where do they go? Uh, I then stopped back by Piccadilly Circus uh, to stop in the Hard Rock Cafe to get myself a very cool t-shirt uh, that I really uh, enjoyed and I'm going to wear on the uh, journey home. And uh, then came back to my room, went out and got a nice dinner and, um, you know, showered and in relaxing from my day, I have I started turning on the BBC News, uh, which, you know, the, the top stories and the big things that are going on in Great Britain are, are the, uh, it's the tank, well, one is the tanker that was uh, hijacked by the, or I should say, boarded uh, by Iranian special forces last weekend uh, in response to the Brits taking an Iranian tanker. Uh, and so lots of questions at Parliament today about whether or not um, you know, the, the British government is just doing the U.S.'s bidding on this and the government is saying no, we're, 
We're not following anything the U.S. says. The U.S. does not determine our foreign policy. We're doing our own thing. And uh, the rest of the parties are like, okay. Um, I watched the speech of a newly elected party leader, a woman named Joe Swinson, who I believe is a 39-year-old. Um, I'm not sure what her professional uh, background is, but I know it said, I believe she's an attorney, but I don't believe it also said she's a, you know, I know the other thing that it said it was mother of three, which, you know, uh, I guess, uh, you know, Britain has its own patriarchy too, doesn't it? And, uh, but she gave an incredibly great speech. And uh, it was a very centrist, uh, center-left, um, you know, um, this woman needs to run for president in the U.S. Um, you know, she would, she would be one of the top candidates right off. Um, you know, where she hit on everything was right, right on the right tone and right where at least in this fool's opinion, uh, the world ought to be. Uh, center left, not uh, middle right, uh, taking a harder turn towards uh, Mussolini days. Um, so then I watched, so after watching that, then uh, watched a little bit of swimming, uh, which was odd to see swimming on in, in the late afternoon on a Monday. Uh, turned back on the news where then the talk was about who's going to occupy number 10 Downing Street. The Conservative Party was voting today on who the next Prime Minister would be, so odds are it's going to be Boris Johnson. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, what the hell did I turn on next? Well, what I'm watching right now, actually, which is live debate from Parliament. Uh, each minister has been going through their portfolio for the week and uh, members of parliament who are still around which may be numbering a couple of dozen are asking questions both friendly to the government and against the government and you know the parliamentary style of government never ceases to amaze me it's pretty cool um, you know so each so the, the minority party or parties have what's called a shadow government and so say the defense minister is countered by a shadow minister right now I'm listening to the environment food and rural affairs minister give her presentation on a Monday evening and I'm sure soon there will be questions from the shadow environment food and rural affairs minister um, you know, I truly think that if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency, that, that Donald Trump would, would have been, for these last four years, a shadow president or some, or some figure, you know, kind of like that. Um, you know, so, you know, I kind of have to wonder, though, if, if something a little bit more elaborate like the British model wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean... Wouldn't it been, have been cool and, in fact, some true next-level stuff if, like, these leading Democratic candidates would come out with who their, you know, who their Department of, you know, who their Secretary of Defense would be, who their Secretary of the Treasury would be, and talk more about, you know, what they would do. Uh, of course, that's meaning that we're going to get into a policy debate, and uh, I don't know. There's... Uh, I, I hope things have been different the last few days. I've been looking at the news uh, in the States, and uh, I don't have a lot of reason to believe that things are different, but 
I really do hope that thing that the debate in the Democratic nomination is going to be become more about the environment, healthcare, infrastructure, jobs uh, than it is about what it is right now, uh, because what we are hitting on right now and what's getting a lot of space and a lot of airtime in the U.S. media seems to be stuff that the average American family does not find to be an extraordinarily high priority. So, um, you know, be that as it may and be that good or ill, you can agree with me or disagree with me about that. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think social and I think cultural issues matter too. But um, unfortunately, I don't see where they win elections. So, um, so that's, that's where we are. Uh, so one more podcast from Great Britain, at least, uh, possibly two. And um, for now, you have been listening to another edition of Forward Maryland, special edition, Bill Woodcock, Far From Home, Part 3. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Good night.